do you see your giftedness and your service in the church as the very first expression of having a life that is a living sacrifice to God? Do you understand that using your giftedness is a command of Jesus Christ your Lord? Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Do you have a desire to serve in your local church? Is there a connection between having spiritual giftedness to lead and serve and deference and humility as you relate to your fellow believers? Well, hello, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part nine of a series titled Gifted to Serve, looking at the use of spiritual gifts in the church as described in Romans chapter 12. So far, you've learned that as a believer, you're called to use your spiritual gifts in the context of the church to serve and love God and His people. Seems simple, right? But the confusion often comes from our fleshly tendency to value different gifts over others. So the question remains, do you view your spiritual gift or gifts as necessary to the body of Christ? And if so, will you trust Him if He uses your gifting in a way perhaps unplanned or unexpected? Let's join our teacher for more on The Word Unleashed. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 as we continue to work our way through Paul's letter. I read an article this week about the Human Body, written by Anne-Marie Helmenstein with a PhD in biomedical sciences, and I was fascinated by what she wrote. She said this, 99% of the mass of the human body is made up of only six chemical elements, oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. 90%, excuse me, 99% of your body's mass is made up of those six chemical elements. She says since 65 to 90% of each body's cell consists of water by weight, it isn't surprising that oxygen and hydrogen are major, component, hydrogen are major components of the body. Oxygen accounts for about 65% of the mass of the human body. Carbon is found in every organic molecule in the body and accounts for 18.6% of the total mass of the human body. And of course, when we exhale, we expel carbon in the form of carbon dioxide. Hydrogen is a component of the water molecules in the body as well as most other compounds. It's the third most abundant element in the human body. Nitrogen is a component of proteins, nucleic acids, and other organic compounds, and it makes up about 3% of your body's mass. Calcium is, of course, a major component in the skeletal system. It's found in your bones and your teeth, and calcium accounts for 1.5% of the body's mass. Obviously not your skeletal system, but the calcium within your body, 1.5% of your body's mass. Phosphorus is found in the nucleus of every cell and about 1% of the human body consent consists of phosphorus. The author identifies a number of other elements that make up that final 1% 
of the mass of your body. As I read that article, I was struck with the fact that God took those six basic chemical elements, and from those six elements made 99% of the mass of your body as you sit here this morning. Think about this. God took those basic elements and from those very basic elements made our extremely complex bodies with all of their members and all of their organs. And every one of the members and every organ and every element is important for your body to work properly. God built in some redundancies, and so we can do without a little here and there. But overall, it's true that if just one trace element were not in your body in its proper extent, it has devastating results on the health of your body. In Romans chapter 12, Paul wants us to know that the same is true for the body of Christ as well. God has taken us and He has placed us together into the body of Christ, and every element, every member is crucial for the proper health and functioning of the body of Jesus Christ. We find ourselves in the fourth and final major section of Romans. I've entitled it, The Gospel Applied, The Transforming Power of the Gospel of Grace. It begins in chapter 12, verse 1, runs all the way through chapter 15, verse 13. And here, Paul ends his letter to the Romans, the major portion of his letter, the same way he ends many of his letters, that is, by applying the truth very practically. Now, as we begin this last major section of Romans, let me give you a preliminary outline. And the key word here is preliminary. I reserve the right as I work my way through this in more detail to to tweak and change it as we go along, but this will give you the big idea. Here is the gospel applied. It begins with a gospel response to God in chapter chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here you have what we've studied already where Paul says, this is how you should respond to God. You should, in light of the gospel, present yourselves body and soul to God. Secondly, we discover a gospel response to service in chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. That's the text we'll look at this morning. Thirdly, there is a gospel response to believers. How do we respond to the believers in our lives? That's chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Fourth, there is a gospel response to enemies, chapter 12, verses 14 to 21. Then there is a gospel response to government, chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. A gospel response to the law in chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. A gospel response to the flesh in chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. And then finally, a gospel response to issues of conscience, or we could say to Christian liberty in chapter 14, verse 1 through chapter 15, verse 13. That is the big picture of what Paul is going to address in the end of this letter as he applies the gospel of grace, as he describes how the power of the gospel actually transforms our lives. Now, we've examined the first of these, the only right response to God in light of the gospel, and that is a life of total commitment, body and soul, to God. This morning, we come to the second, and that is a gospel response to service. Let's read it together, Romans chapter 12, 
verses 3 through 8. You follow along. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service, in his serving, or he who teaches, in his teaching, or he who exhorts, in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, after dealing with our response to God, Paul continues to explain the implications of the gospel in our lives by explaining the implication that has to do with our service in the church to the body of Christ. Now, I find that fascinating because if you were writing this letter and you were about to explain how to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God, if you were explaining the implications of the gospel to another Christian brother or sister in the Lord, would you begin here? Would you begin where Paul begins? What you need to understand is by placing this paragraph here, Paul is saying this to us, and ultimately the Lord is saying this to us, this is where presenting ourselves as a sacrifice to God, as a living sacrifice acceptable to Him, this is where it begins. We tend to think if we're going to be radically, totally committed to God, if we're going to be a living sacrifice, then it means we need to accomplish something radical, something extraordinary. But for most Christians, a life of total commitment to God is neither radical nor extraordinary. It is very, very ordinary. It means using your spiritual giftedness in this church to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Paul is saying to the Roman believers. Paul's point in this paragraph is that God has gifted every Christian to serve. So we must think about our gifts accurately, and we must use them responsibly. That's the point. Now, Paul gives us here two instructions about spiritual gifts and using them in the life of the church, and I've just hinted at them, hinted at them but let's look at the first of them. The first instruction that he provides in this text is think about your spiritual gift accurately. Think about your spiritual gift accurately, verses 3 through 5. Now, what I want to do as we work our way through this text is, is ask a series of questions of the text and allow the text to answer those questions. So, let's begin with this question. What does this paragraph address? What are we really talking about here and the obvious answer is spiritual gifts. The context makes it very clear. Look down in verse 6. We have gifts that differ. And then he follows that statement from the middle of verse 6 down through verse 8 with a list of spiritual gifts. So clearly then, the theme of this paragraph is simply spiritual gifts. The Greek word for gifts there in verse 6 is 
a word you will recognize because it has been used and abused in many ways. It is the word charismata. This Greek word occurs 17 times in the New Testament, 16 times in Paul's letters, only one time outside of his letters, and that is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, where Peter deals with exactly the same theme. This word charismata literally means a grace gift. This word indicates the source of these spiritual gifts. They are from God as an expression of His grace. Paul is referring here, Christian, to the spiritual gift that you have already received. In fact, look how he puts it in verse 6. Since we have gifts. He's talking to all the believers there, and he says, we already have gifts gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us in the past. You see, at the moment of your conversion, God endowed you with a special gift to serve Him, with a spiritual gift. And there are no exceptions to this. Every one of us, that is, every true believer in Jesus Christ, has received a spiritual gift from Christ Himself. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, he speaks of Christ's gift, and that gift has been given to us through the work of the Spirit. We'll see that in several texts in the next few minutes. But the main point I want you to get here is that every single believer, without exception, has received a spiritual giftedness. Look at verse 3. God has allotted to each a measure of faith. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's crystal clear there. Here's how Paul expresses it in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, the Spirit distributes to each one individually just as He wills. Peter in 1 Peter 4.10 says, each one has received a spiritual gift. So, Christian, you have received a spiritual gift. It was given to you from Christ by means of the Spirit at the moment of your conversion. But the question is, okay, I've received a spiritual gift, but what does that mean? What is a spiritual gift? I don't want to assume anything this morning, so let me give you a definition my favorite definition of spiritual gifts is this, a unique capacity for service that God has given to every true Christian that that Christian did not possess before salvation. A unique capacity for service that God has given to every true Christian that that believer did not possess before salvation. In other words, what that definition is stressing in part is that we're not talking about natural talents and abilities. A spiritual gift is not a natural talent. However, you can exercise a true spiritual gift through a natural talent. Let me give you a couple of examples. Somebody who was born naturally gifted as a communicator can also be given the spiritual gift of teaching at the moment of conversion. Someone who is talented at carpentry, who, who just has a gift for that in terms of how they use their hands and how they see in three dimensions and 
all of the things that go with carpentry, they can use that natural skill they were born with and have developed through the years to exercise the spiritual gift of helps after they become a believer. But your spiritual gift is not a natural ability. It is a spiritual capacity given to you at conversion to serve the people of God. So then, to answer our first question, what does this paragraph address? This paragraph is about serving in the church using your spiritual giftedness. So let's come to a second question. Why does this matter? Why does this passage and what we're studying together matter? And the answer is because it is a command of Jesus Christ our Lord Himself. Notice verse 3, for through the grace given to me, I say. Notice, first of all, that verse 3 begins with that little word for. That's a connector word that connects this back to verses 1 and 2. In other words, here is the very first example of how to sacrifice your body and mind to God. You want to be a living sacrifice to God? Then have a humble, wholehearted commitment to using your spiritual gift to serve the people of God in the church. Now, notice what Paul says next, because this really tells us why this is important. He says, for through the grace given to me. In that comment, Paul is referring to the grace that he received to become an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul saw, and we should see, that any opportunity for ministry and service that we have is a gift of God's grace. Now, let me just stop here for a moment and say this. Having this perspective is absolutely crucial. It makes such a difference in your service. Think about the paradigm shift that occurred in one of the most famous scenes in American literature. That scene comes from Mark Twain's book, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, and it's, if you remember, the fence scene. Tom has been assigned the responsibility by his Aunt Polly of painting the fence, and he doesn't want to really paint the fence. He'd love to spend his time in other ways. And so he comes on this brilliant scheme to convince his friends that painting the fence is such a delight and such a joy that they will want to do it, and that he will because he's their friend, give them the opportunity to paint the fence. They end up paying him to paint the fence. Perspective is such a huge issue when it comes to our service. Do you see your service in this church as a duty, as a drudgery, something that simply must be done, that actually ties you down from things you'd rather be doing? Or do you see it as the privilege that it is, that you and I don't deserve it. Do you understand? You and I don't deserve anything from God except eternal wrath. We don't deserve the salvation we received, and what Paul is saying here is we don't even deserve the opportunity for service we get. It's grace. It's a gift of God's grace. Paul saw that, and he says, I received the grace of being an apostle of Jesus Christ. Listen, do you think Paul was such a great guy that Jesus chose him for an apostle? Have you ever like read his life before his conversion? It was grace. He understood this and he stressed this. Go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 5. He says, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we received grace. 
He's using we here in the royal sense of uh, himself. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. He said, listen, Christ showed me grace not only in saving me, but in giving me this privilege of serving him. Look at chapter 15, Romans chapter 15 and verse 15. He says the same thing. I have written very boldly to you on some point, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentile, Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, God showed me grace. Christ showed me grace in allowing me to be his apostle. Now, go back to Romans chapter 12. So understand then that when in, in verse 3, Paul says, through the grace given to me, he is saying that he is addressing us with the authority of Christ's apostle. This isn't like something you can do if you want to do it. This is the command of Christ Jesus, our Lord, through his apostle, who had been placed in that position as a gift of Christ's grace alone. So understand, you don't have an option, Christian. This matters because it matters to Christ. Paul says, I'm speaking to you as an apostle, so listen up. Thirdly, another question that he answers here is, who does this concern? And by the way, I understand the grammar is slightly wrong there, but it just sounds better than whom in this case. Who does this concern? The answer is, every Christian. Every Christian. Look at verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. In Greek, the way Paul says this is, is especially emphatic. It's not even his normal way of saying all of you. Literally translated, it's to all the ones being among you. It's his way of saying there are no exceptions. I'm talking to every one of you. Listen up. What Paul says here is for every genuine follower of Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, then you better pay attention to what Paul is about to say. That's what he is stressing. The clear implication here is that every Christian has a spiritual gift and therefore has a responsibility in the stewardship of that gift. So every Christian, listen up, is what Paul says. Now, that brings us to a fourth question and really the heart of this passage, and that is, what does this passage command of us? What does this command? Notice verse 3, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, and there are really two commands here. Number one, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, and number two, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Now, if you have read the book of 1 Corinthians, you understand that in the first century, certain gifts, particularly the miraculous gifts that were there to confirm the ministry of the apostles, those gifts were especially desirable among the church, especially in Corinth. Now, the, the interesting thing about that is Paul was probably in Corinth when he wrote this letter to the Romans. So this problem was very much on his mind. What's interesting about this verse here, verse 3, is that in Greek there is a very complicated wordplay. 
It's hard to express in English, but let me see if I can describe it for you. Within 10 Greek words, so in the Greek text, within 10 Greek words, in verse 3, Paul uses the same Greek word for think four times in different forms. Let me point them out to you in English so you can see them. The first one is to think highly, and then twice simply to think, and then notice the words sound judgment. That's the same Greek word for think. It literally means to think sanely or to think soundly or rationally. The root word for think in each of those four cases doesn't refer to the process of thinking, but to the way a person thinks, the way they view something. Specifically, Paul tells us here how we should not and how we should think about ourselves. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that was part nine of his series titled Gifted to Serve. Tom will have part 10 for you next time, and we do hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.